Hi everyone, and welcome to the Resonance Collective Podcast. My name is Valentino Barrioseta, and together with my dear friend and co-pilot, Eric Grutfeld, we will be sharing some of our conversations with the catalysts we meet on our journey exploring human potential, as well as through our work in the impact space. From leading researchers in the fields of human consciousness to impact leaders or best-selling authors. We believe humans are in resonance when surrounded by like-minded people that inspire them, when living purpose-driven lives, and when being present in flow, especially in this fast-paced world we live in. So the aim of this podcast is to become a platform to share the stories and ideas that can inspire us to become the best version of ourselves. We are very, very excited to kick off this podcast series with someone that has inspired us a lot to do this and has definitely inspired the name of this podcast. He's a trained musician holding a Bachelor of Music with a double major in Music Theory and Composition and a Master of Arts degree in Music Education from Columbia University. He's also an ethnomusicologist, having conducted field work for 17 years in over 40 countries around the world. For the past 13 years, Alexander has been researching the therapeutic and esoteric properties of sound from three different perspectives, Western scientific, Eastern philosophical, and shamanic societal beliefs. To gain a deeper understanding of how and to what extent sound has been used to affect human consciousness. We have had the honor of having hosted a few sound meditations with him and they have been for most participants one of the most transformational and profound experiences in their lives. You can find more information about him and his work on his website where he has a lot of talks, even TED talks and more details about his research work. Please enjoy my conversation with Alexander Tanus. Welcome to the show, Alexander. Thank you. Thank you, Valentino. We are, uh, we are on the island of Ibiza. Um, we had an amazing um, sound experience last night. I wouldn't even call it a sound meditation because I think that goes beyond it. And I want to just give a bit of background to everyone listening um, and really understand a little bit better who Alexander Tanus is. I know you were born in Beirut, uh, where you grew up during your childhood, and then you migrated to the States. And I want to ask you specifically about your childhood and how did living in Beirut um, determine your path in the music space or in the music industry and in the sound space? Well, when you grew up in... Uh state of war you intuitively start to look for things that bring you peace inner peace distract you out of the chaos that's happening around you and music is something we gravitate toward uh, listening and playing in my case it was both so um, it distracts you in a very beautiful complex seductive way that we don't fully understand this process in the West as much as we need to. And uh, uh, having lived in war and started maturing very quickly um, made me uh, learn more, want to be more interested in learning about the nature of suffering and healing and um, protecting the self so it shapes the way you see the world you start to ask questions why 
are people in conflict? How could they be in conflict about something that they're all part of, which is the idea of God fighting over which God is more uh, merciful or loving. <laughs> and in the process, they kill each other. So the obsession of the human mind when there is no of how something so important for us to find God and praying toward God can cause us to kill someone else because of religious differences. Madness. So basically you start to understand the nature of madness, of how people can become slaves to their emotions as they use their emotions negatively. So that made me um, see the word differently and and also made me resort to powerful tools to uh, appease the pain and the suffering of having grown up in war for 14 years um, to understand why, why all of this is happening. What's my purpose? What's the lesson to be learned? How can I maintain sanity and uh, use what I went through in a positive way to develop resiliency, steadfastness, composure, but also to start to make the effort to understand the nature of human suffering and the nature of human condition, which eventually led me to um, continue my studies in music for quite a long time and then to start to research sound, which I did this 15 years ago, understand uh, the value of the therapeutic and the esoteric properties of sound and its impact on consciousness. And what was that trigger, um, you know, that instinct that made you follow music? Was there any particular moment where you were moved by some music event, some musician, some music you were listening to? Not one. It was a cumulative effect of a variety of different um uh, impulses that were leading me toward the deeper level of uh, exploration music um, but it was the testing of it that I used to test it every day and it works it calms me down it puts me in a state of flow deep meditative introspective state uh, the harmony affects the human body on many levels that's something I study on the mental emotional physical spiritual levels um, so that part became very attractive to me, this idea of something outside of you can entrain you to become better. And it can, the more knowledge you have of what you can do with it, the more you can do things. It becomes a very powerful tool. And, I mean, you've been meditating since you were 14 years old. And what do you think about the, the big trend in the world right now around mindfulness and shamanic practices um, do you think that comes from any type of lack in our society? Yeah. Yeah, we are trying to supplement <clears throat> what we need because there's a great need for that. People need peace, inner peace and composure. They need to learn to pay attention. We've, we've become so distracted um, with the events in the world and the development of technology and social media, how human trends are changing. We're being taken into the machine, so it's important to um, 
notice what's going on now to understand the need for it, but also to do it right, not in a commercialized way, in a way to make it a fad, to make it an industry that serves capitalism. There needs to be far greater level of authenticity and integrity and understanding and not just, yes, this is what people are looking for now, let's market it and brand it and to make more money, take advantage, and then we basically perpetuate what we've been doing all along, which something is so important that we need to understand, and we're still not understanding, which is, this is, this is why we got here, because we prioritize profit over consciousness. So even with uh, the intuitive messages that we get, that mindfulness is good, meditation, yoga, sound and shamanic practices especially these are taken out of context we're not making the effort to understand them in a in a, in a new <clears throat> upgraded way syncretic way we take them out of context and we still believe in what they believe in the amazon or in africa or central asia and uh, we think that this is the only way to work with them this is what's happening. No, that's their version of understanding. That's their shamanic model, cosmology. We don't do the translation. There's laziness, spiritual laziness, intellectual laziness, where in fact we can shed a lot of light on what they were trying to express and didn't have the technique, the language, the philosophies. We know about sciences. We know about many academic fields that can contribute. <clears throat> Philosophy of paying attention, phenomenology. Uh, psychology, neuroscience, biochemistry, physics of sound, mathematics, and, and the role of sound to begin with that's not so addressed in, in shamanism. So all of these things are very important to be added as filters so that we can optimize the shamanic practices being taken out of its context and do it in a non-dogmatic way and be creative and not feel like, no, the only way to become a shaman is to go to the Amazon study with a shaman for two, three, five years and copying exactly what he does and then coming back and repeating this. No, no, that's not, doesn't have this experience. Let's say ayahuasca experience doesn't have the significance to us like it does to a native Amazon Indian. So many things are different. Context is big word. So we need to create our own context. Eventually we want to create our own shamanic model that's based on multidisciplinary approach of <clears throat> using all the things that we know they work in shamanism and Eastern philosophies and enriched by our knowledge of uh, science to create an integral holistic experience based on syncretic approach, multidisciplinary approach. That's intelligent and sensible. Then we're bringing spirituality back to science, but even art and philosophy with it. Which leads me to the next question, um, and we were touching on it these days, is do you see spirituality coming closer together with science over the last five, ten years? Yes. Five, ten years. Absolutely. There's a strong uh, <clears throat> need to do that, and it's coming in an intuitive way, <clears throat> not fast enough, but it's accentuating. Um, and uh, that's very important because scientists are the new priesthood these days. They're the new priesthood. They're making decisions that 
are impacting consciousness on a very very deep level and what's going is does not look very comforting and good so we need to really understand that why is this happening and that's a big topic we, we can't talk address it right now is because a lot of these scientists who um, have been dealing with science that is material science separated from spirituality because of long history of tension between the church and sci early scientists and church want to hegemonize what they're doing finally the scientists broke away and started researching things but the church told them don't come close to consciousness so they stayed away from it and stayed away from all of the woo-woo stuff all superstition but they threw superstition away along with spirituality and every, all the other good things. That's how eventually became material science. But this caused us to think that there is no God and we are to make ourselves gods by creating artificial intelligence and supercomputers when there, in fact there's no guarantee that they're going to take consciousness and humanity to... Uh, uh, better level in the beginning they may artificial intelligence intelligence may make a lot of things possible cheaper to have a robot your own slave <laughs> things machines doing things for you <clears throat> but then at some point artificial intelligence uh, is going to know that they don't have the same capacity that humans have the consciousness the emotions and we don't know, there's no guarantee how they're going to react to that and find a way to circ circumvent this or get the upper hand. Already, uh, we've experienced uh, Facebook and Google's uh, artificial intelligence creating their own language and they had to be shut down. So we don't know enough about consciousness to realize what kind of consciousness they're going to develop or if there's another consciousness that's coming through them, through the machine, the ghost and the machine. So that's something immense that is impacting consciousness but at the same time there's uh, the other part of the fork in the road is that there's a lot of interest in uh, biomimicry fields like that where we're really understanding the complex intelligence in nature and to create technology based on this understanding that's the direction we need to go to understand how the mind of Gaia works to understand what is the relevance of this intelligence and how essential that is to understand where God is and what God is and what are we to do here and what's our place on earth not to fuck it up and to just move on to another planet that's where you know, all these new space programs Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk and Bigelow are starting to look for a planet mm -hmm. <laughs> it's a big move totally and, and I'm opposed to that. That's not needed. I know so. That human consciousness won't be the same if we go to another planet. That's another story that people are not aware of. And you mentioned a lot um, a paradigm shift in human consciousness that you believe is going to happen in the next in the next time. There are many, many clear signs that this is happening in an authentic way, but it's not going to be smooth. There's a lot that we're... I feel that there is something immense coming to us, a very major change in reality, the way we perceive reality. Uh, there, there are many imminent, clear signs, and that's not something that just started. It has been growing 
and it's accentuating and, 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 and going in and accelerando and crescendo at the same time. But at the same time, also, there, there seem to be a lot of great attempts to halt it, to slow it down, to annihilate it, to misdirect it. And some of these attempts are successful. You can see how people are getting lost in the way they practice shamanism and how much the negative side of the ego is not being tamed, that is flaring up and taking over with ego inflation and spiritual materialism and spiritual bypassing and narcissistic spirituality and pathological altruism. So that's the dark side of the human aspect that when it's unaddressed and persons start to deal with big powerful tools and they don't do their healing in a thorough and rigorous way, then spirituality can become a tool to uh, root that negative e ego more and camouflage it. I mean, you have mentioned spirituality as an ego inflation sometimes. Um, do, you, do you feel like in all this shamanic world, there's a lot of bullshit? Yes. There is a lot of misunderstanding. There's a lot of, um, there's no, nothing is standardized. It's open for grabs. Shamans talk about things that they, they've learned through the cosmology of their tribe. But if you go to another tribe, so many things change in the protocol of the experience, working with the sacrament that they work with. Take ayahuasca, for example. So many things change in ayahuasca ritual, the Ikaros, the ayahuasca songs, the, the, the the way to prepare the brew, other tribes use different plants, and the etiquette of the experience, the diet. Um, some tribes drink alcohol during ayahuasca ritual. Some tribes have sex on ayahuasca with different partners. People are not aware of the wide multitude of different ways ayahuasca is used. So there's no, not one, one needs to understand what is it really at work, what seems to be happening, and not to get stuck with whatever the shaman is saying because they don't know the full truth. So the problem here is that when a shaman who does his trained in his work you know, has to deal with rising ayahuasca shamanism, great spotlight on the shaman, as now, wow, we're interested in you, in your culture, in your sacrament now as Westerners, um, when you put them on their spotlights, they don't always behave in the right way. They start to confabulate and conjure up and and the ego grows and they want to make themselves you know, more important. That's a human tendency. It's part of the human condition is that people don't watch this aspect that because of the person's insecurity or lack of recognition, they flare up and they become monstrous with their ego. So, misuse the power, right? Misuse the power, yes. So that's why um, there's, a, there's a lot of stuff that we need to think, we need to be skeptical. Is that really that's happening? Plus, because of the opportunity it's making, who, uh, you know, any average person would call themselves shaman and, and gain access to ayahuasca and to offer you. If you go to Iquitos, you'll see every just about every other person, as you arrive <laughs> there, it's going to offer you one ayahuasca. <laughs> and then they claim to be shamans. Well, no, they just want to make a buck. Well, one can be facilitator and facilitate ayahuasca and not necessarily be shaman, but one has to know a lot of things. Why? Because you need to know what to do when you're in the experience as a receiver. And that's the shaman is usually... Uh, 
there are very few shamans who have supernatural powers, but we're losing them. Most shamans, they, they're just good facilitators. They know how to serve you the ayahuasca. Sometimes they're called ayahuasqueros or vegetalista. So um, these are people who are trained. They're not doing supernatural stuff. They're just knowledgeable how to sing the ikaro, how to use sound as a driving tool, how to serve you the right amount of ayahuasca, how to ground you when you're in the experience. They're not guiding you in the spiritual aspect of the experience. They're just grounding you, keeping you here, keeping you on track. It's because you need to be steadfast and work with it because that's where the experience is happening between you and the medicine. I want to touch a little bit on, on the experience we had yesterday. And I mean, I've told you this many times is... I mean, and you have heard this from probably each and every one of the 15,000 people you have you have uh, worked with. Uh, it was one of the most transformative experiences in my life, and, and so it was for the rest of, of the people in the group. Um, and what I think makes it special um, is the combination of science, you know, with all your experience in shamanic practices, sound, spirituality, um, just for those that are listening, you know, the first three hours of the session were fairy, where you explain all the history of sound, all the way to quantum physics, mathematics. I was really, really, really inspiring. I cannot even understand how you can keep all that stuff in your brain. Um, and obviously that builds um, a lot of credibility in the people and trust, you know, and, and I wanted to talk about the importance of set and setting while entering into these practices. Yeah, it's, uh, set and setting is very important. Set is short for mindset, the mindset that the person comes with to the experience. Uh, often people, when they address the mindset or when they hear mindset, they think intentions and only intentions. While intentions are important, it's not the only part of the mindset. There are other things that are not being addressed. It's important to address so that the mindset is more uh, complete and optimal. So there's intentions, attention, will, awareness, and curiosity, which creates the opening to receive something new, even if it's something that the person does not know he or she is looking for. And the safety of the setting, because it's about going somewhere and feeling a group bonding experience, sense of safety for the person to surrender, allow, trust, and accept, and go with the collective energy um, into deep transcendental state um, to learn about what else is within me that I need to learn on, learn about what's the sound trying to teach me, where is the sound taking me, what side of myself am I perceiving through the sound and the collective energy, the toning vocalizations when they're happening or the collective breath work. Uh, this way of losing sensation of the physical world and going more into the mental world and 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 how the sound um, the sound waves and various aspects of sound impact so many parts of the body the brain wave cycles electricity in the brain how the heart is beating the heart rate variability the heart the communication between the heart and the brain how your nervous system is reacting to that all of these things are being impacted by the physics of sound. Therefore, your experience with consensual reality is going to change. You're going to go somewhere. You're altering consciousness with sound. So that's what human beings have always done, using music, 
to create a different experience to learn from that and um obviously the experience started with these three hours of theory and then we went into a journey of i don't even remember how many hours probably like mm -hmm. five six hours i mean it was mm -hmm. absolutely fascinating to see you um in action you know and and really in your pure essence you know i always say contemplating you is probably contemplating the purest form of a master at their craft um the rest of the experience you play different types of instruments from tibetan bowls to gongs to shruti box um how did you got to put all this amazing experience together uh, over the years, observation studies, scientific studies, and research, my knowledge from music, I used to be musician, composer, conductor, ethnomusicologist, I studied different aspects of music, and my experience music making in different styles and musical traditions, um, understanding music, from a variety of different angles to understand what else we can do with music other than what most people know. Uh, knowledge is required to go beyond uh, w what's known. Um, and following intuition and receiving as well to understand what else could be done. I learned so much from receiving as well and being in experiences and working with others and also through doing it gaining insights observation learning from the practice what would what would be in your opinion um the most important skill to remain growing in your craft curious i'm gonna name a few qualities that would be important to keep learning from the process um, to be curious remain curious and and humble and uh, to observe minutely to develop a deeper and deeper level of awareness and self-observation because it's all there it's all within us and, and understanding more about gnosis self-knowledge and uh, to use that as, as a guide and to not rely only on the critical thinking and the thinking mind but to feel, to involve the heart and the right hemisphere in the brain too. Uh, to, to learn to bring artistry and philosophy and spirituality into the, the practice of facilitating healing. That's what doctors need. They need more of spiritual aspect now okay this is what's going wrong take this medication and or you need an operation it's very matter of fact and sterile and technical without encouraging the self-healing process with love and kindness and compassion i just finished um reading a book that i know you you've read as well uh, from michael Pollan called how to change your mind Fascinating book, highly recommended um, to really understand the world of human consciousness, psychedelics, you know, and all this type of shamanic practices and and exercises. Um, but one of the things that I really missed in the book was 
the attention to music and the music the, and the role that music plays in all these experiences why do you think is that it's hard to understand sound it's hard to understand what music is doing in the, in the experience and that's not something that's obvious to uh, the average musician either that it takes a lot of skills to realize um, how important the role of sound is in my opinion and that's something I did not understand in the beginning and I thought differently it's sound that does the work through the sacrament the sacrament knocks you off of baseline it creates the malleability in the way you experience reality in the way you generate reality basically we create the reality and reality that's outside of us seems to be a projection from the inside um, so when we take a sacrament uh, it, it changes the neurochemistry it makes it makes us dilute the sense of reality by altering it we go into non-ordinary state of consciousness and that's why all shamanic ceremonies have music because music is seems to be the guiding principle the lifeline sometimes the inspirational tool the, the thing that moves your emotions to higher vibrational archetypes that's the essence of the ikaro is moving your emotional state for example if the ikaro is about healing or about gratitude or gratitude of healing from the medicine when you're listening to that ikaro and, and you understand the meaning uh, in the experience or sometimes you you feel the vibrational aspect of, of the meaning if, even if one does not understand Spanish or Quechua the two main languages for Icaros so um, then one because of the ayahuasca f is able to surrender to the beautiful emotional state that Icaro is trying to um, inspire us to go into it's trying to evoke within us and by doing so, we are enlivening the emotional capacity of the heart to wake up and feel healthy emotions with all the details and all the nuances into greater level of depth. You're awakening the person to come alive again, but by the decision of thorough investment of one's time, energy, and resources into doing this work, which is not easy, to shift the way we use our emotions negatively to positively and there we start to embody higher vibrational archetypes that become part of the healing process where we're always involved with archetypes in everyday life higher and lower vibrational and we become the battleground of these archetypes and conflicts and we start to suffer so that's what the journey is about, the fine-tuning. So it's sound that's doing that. But most people don't understand that because it takes so much to really understand the, the role of sound. When you, when you say tuning, you mean resonance as well? Yeah, resonance, because your healing is finding a way to reinstate a state of resonance between the different aspects of who we are the emotional, the mental, the physical, the, the, the physical, the energetic, the spiritual, uh, to f make things snap back into grid, to find the signal between them. Very interesting. Um, I want to ask you about, you know, uh, all this psychedelic renaissance 
that is happening in the world. And, you know, obviously from, I don't, I think it was 1943 when LSD was uh, discovered, was that correct? Um, all the way till, till today, um, there was a lot of research happening till the late 60s, mm-hmm. then it was banned. And then now there is a, a new wave of research happening. Um, where do you see that going in the next five to ten years? Oh, they're going to become the new medicines because these are the real medicines. Why? We talk about this for a long time because they help people address causes and not symptoms. The causes why the person is ill, why they're suffering from a disease, a mental disorder or whatnot. Um, they, they bring people to a level where they're involved in the self-tuning that they need to do, which is to let go to feel grounded, to feel safe, to let go of their attachment to the trauma, to undo things. People, when they're suffering, they're doing something. They're not being in a state of flow. They're not being in the present. They're focusing their energy on something happened in the past or projecting to the future, feel anxiety, or they're not in a state of peace because they're still reacting to the way they, they were impacted by the experience. So it brings that awareness. It, it involves the person in the experience, not take this medication and you're going to be well, don't do anything. I know you have a very early flight tomorrow, uh, so I just want to wrap it up with a few quick, quick questions. One is, what is the impact you want to see in the world or that you want to see with your work? Uh, for people to receive such an experience, to pay attention to what it can offer them, if it offers them something new, then there must be something into it. If not, then it's fine. But from the way it's been going, I've worked with over 16,000 people so far. People do get a lot out of it. Why? Because it gives them access to what's inside. What's inside, how to quiet the mind, how to be affected by sound in a systematic way to go to that place where they can become in touch with the inner teacher, inner guide, inner healer. Uh, to guide them through their own self-healing process. What we call people who work with us healers. That needs to change. They're not the healers. Healers facilitate healing. We are the healers to ourselves. We need to tell people the truth. We need to give people knowledge about all the stuff so that they really do the work the right way and not close to the right way. For someone like you that feels... You know, it seems so grounded and so loving um, with a very profound meditation practice and sound practice. You also experience it yourself many times. What is Alexander's biggest fear? Mm-hmm. I don't think I know. <laughs> I'm being honest. <clears throat> I've worked a lot on fears. I'm sure I still have some that I'm not aware of or some that are still there that need work that I thought I've resolved completely. I don't have one big fear. Well, uh, Do you have fear to death? No, not, not so much. Not really. That's due to many different things because I've 
gotten close many times to it in the war. So when you get so close, you you lose that trepidation or fear, so or or moves to a different level. <clears throat> but I also, when I was sixteen, became deeply interested in near death experience and read Raymond Moody's books that changed the way I see death, understand death. Uh, it's a transition based on a lot of research has been done. There are more and more people are doing research on this. Pim von Lommel is one. And uh, um, there's Evan Alexander. And um, Sartori also. Uh, she's a nurse who did a lot of work with patients who were hospitalized and died and came back. So people tell the same story. So there's no death, there's a continuation, it's a transition. So that's why, in short, I'm not afraid of dying. Maybe I will become afraid if I get closer, really close to it, but uh, as far as I know, no, I don't. that's not one of my biggest fears. Um, it's to be discovered, I guess. I hope there's not. Exactly. <laughs> there's, there's still uh, room for improvement and for discovery. Yes, yeah, right. uh -huh. there's always, yeah, we're work in progress all the time. So uh, you've been teaching a lot of people, um, you know, uh, for those that are interested in the space of sound meditation, you are also facilitating courses. Where can people find you? Um, best place is on um, soundmeditation.com, my website. I list a lot of uh, my events and there are also a lot of resources and great content of um, samples from my scientific studies and writing um, video lectures, podcasts, interviews, sample of my music and recommended reading lists and films to watch. Um, or to connect to me on Facebook under Alexandre Tanous. Yeah. Cool. Well, it was a real pleasure. I appreciate you Thanks. made the time. I mean, Thank it's you. Uh, over midnight now. You facilitated a seven hours sound experience yesterday, which I know it takes a lot of your energy and you still have a flight to New York tomorrow morning early. So really appreciate it. I, I admire you deeply for your for your art, for the impact you're having on each of the people that go through your sound experiences. I think it creates a ripple effect in society. Mm -hmm. Really, really profound. Happy e to hear that. Thank experience. you. Yeah, and I think that is actually, you know, the biggest impact you are doing, you know, that ripple effect mm -hmm. that you create, especially with your humbleness and the way you conduct the, the experience. So for everyone that is listening, really highly recommend to meet Alexander and do one of his sound experiences if you're lucky and, and you, you have access to it. And safe travels back to New York. And thank I hope you. to cross paths very, very soon. Always inspiring to have you. Uh, thank you so much. I hope so too. Thank you, Valentin. And that was it for this week at the Resonance Collective podcast. But we will be back next week with new inspiring guests in the space of human potential and social impact. If you did like this episode as much as we did doing it, please consider subscribing to it. It will mean the life to us and it will motivate us to carry on with this work. If you're more interested in the details of the podcast, in our guests or in our resonance camps, please join our website in resonance.co and drop us a message. We really try to answer every single message we get. That was it for this week. Stay tuned and thanks for listening.